It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mass from MLB.com alongside Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. Greg, you know, we taped uh, taped our last episode with David Justice, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to that one, you should go back and listen to it. That was a great conversation. We taped that one. Um, the, the team on the field had uh, we'd, we'd gone 0-3 to start the year with the Phillies, and since then, as we're sitting here taping this today, we've won the last three. So... It's 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 amazing to me how quickly things can change in the baseball landscape and how uh, those who have to make the decisions, the roster decisions with the team, how they have the perspective and probably the patience they have to have and the mindset they have to have to be, not get too, too caught up in uh, one or two games or one series. Uh, so it felt like a perfect time to have our first – this is our first repeat guest, first time we've had a guest, a recurring guest, I should say. Uh, Braves general manager Alex Anthopoulos joined us today. Um, we had a great time with him, as you're going to hear. A um, lot of news lately, the Ronald Acuna extension and everything. So uh, with, with Alex as our first return guest, I feel like is he was kind of the perfect one to have as our first recurring guest because he's somebody we're going to want to have on at least a couple times a season to check in with and just to get a gauge on how things are going. And uh, he's a pretty – he's a candid guy, as candid as somebody in his position can be, I felt like, or I feel like. Oh, no doubt. Ever since I've met Alex, I feel like that he, um, you know, high-integrity guy. He tells you what he's thinking, and he can tell you as much as possible. Because, you know, he's got a tough job. I mean, and he he explains a little bit in, in our interview about how there are things that I don't understand, that fans don't understand, that if he was to let people know what was going on, it could adversely affect the team. And so he explains that a little bit, which I think is it's very kind of eye-opening. It is. And, and it was uh, very appropriate. So I think there's some things. I think it's like the, like the government. You know, you don't need to know everything that's going on because some of it is for national security and some of it you don't want the bad guys to hear, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. That's actually a great comparison. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I it's it. just <laughs> the fact that, you know, there's some things we don't need to know. But, but I just know from, from being around him and seeing how he works – he is working hard, and he's doing a good job. And, of course, nobody l- wanted to lose the first three games in Philadelphia. They're a good team. We had some young pitchers going on the road in Philadelphia was first, but we righted the ship. It's great to see us playing well at home and playing like we know our team can play. Absolutely, absolutely. And I I think uh, you're going to enjoy hearing from him. Uh, so without further ado, here he is, Braves general manager, Alex Anthopoulos. Well, um, Alex, thanks again for joining us on Behind the Braves. Um, we just had you on one of our one of our first episodes we did, so yeah. glad to have, been you, a while. have you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys are rolling. Yeah, we, we kind of debated really what to talk about because there's not a whole lot going on right now, and so we're a little, you know, just trying to figure out. No problem. What, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, great having you on. Great having you on. Yeah, we we yeah. really searched hard, but um, but no, we know seasons happening. Uh, a lot of stuff's been going on in your world, uh, preparing for the season, and then now coming out of spring training, getting this team rolling. So, um, so we appreciate the time, but we we would love to find out. We know the big news that just happened with Ronald and signing him mm-hmm. to a long, long-term deal, which we're all excited about. We we thought that was unbelievable. It reminded me of back back when I played about what the Indians did when they had the young core. Right. Guys, Albert Bell and and uh, Jim Tomey and those guys, and they signed them all to long-term contracts, and that really right. set the stage for their franchise for a long period of time. 
But that's not something we've done uh, a whole lot of. So I'm, I'm curious, can you take us through a little bit how that happened? I mean, were you and Alex and Perry sitting around drinking a beer? It's like, I wonder if Ronald will take a long-term deal. I mean, how, how did that come about? Yeah, so we, I'd say the senior team is myself, like you said, um, Perry Manassi and Alex Tamman. We mentioned both guys. Jason Perret, Mike Fast. Those are probably the main senior-level executives. Now we have a huge group of people um, that work, whether it's pro scouting, player development, amateur scouting, the R&D department. Um, but I think, one, when you have great players like this, I think everybody can, can see that. So the question is, if he continues on a, a trajectory that we hope and he hopes for, you know, we'd, would we be able to be a, be a player down the road on someone like that? And look, when you do these contracts, you share the risk. So the player gets guaranteed money. He's six years out of free agency. Performance can happen, uh, performance, a performance dip. There could be injury and so on. But essentially, we're all hoping he outperforms the contract because that means things are going well and that there's a second deal. If he doesn't outperform the contract, then probably there's a dip in performance or there's been an injury and so on. So you get the security, you don't have to worry about it, and he gets a second bite at the apple. But from our standpoint is we talk so much about this young talent. We want to keep it together for a long period of time. Normally, you don't do deals as early as we, we just did. I haven't as a GM. This is the most money I've ever given to a player as a GM. Uh, I've never done a deal this early before with a player. That being said, I've never seen a young player this talented. And in a perfect world, we would wait, just get more sense of is he a durable player or not. And that's not for lack of effort. Over time, we'll find out um, what the performance is going to be. There's going to be peaks and valleys. But if you wait too long, now you know, if he becomes an outstanding player, we're probably getting into years and dollars that probably won't make sense for us to build a competitive team around him. So how can we satisfy both things, get him that security, have him have a second bite at the apple and be a free agent at a good age? But also we get to keep him for longer than the six years, and that's basically where we came. And when we, you know, when we approached his agent, the player has to want this. So if he had said, look, I have no interest, then we would have not even engaged and waited and maybe come back a year from now, two years from now. Um, but he said, look, I'm open-minded. I'll hear what you guys have to say. Uh, once that happens, then it's worth spending the time because contract negotiations take forever. So if you're chasing a player or you're chasing an agent, or you're chasing trying to get a deal done, and they're just not motivated, they don't want to, they really have no interest, and you have to um, convince them with money, um, which ultimately, it's, it's always going to be important. There's probably no point in doing it. So there needs to be a willingness and a want to on both sides. What puts you over the top to take the risk? What was it about Ronald? I mean, we all know he's talented, right. but it goes beyond that. Because could this destroy his career? Yeah. I mean, what, what? How do you know he could handle that? Um, because he wasn't even he hadn't even had a year in the big leagues yet, right? I mean, right. from date from and a, even he missed time last year, so yeah, not even right. even though he was up for five months. I mean, he probably only played about right. four. What mm. was it that that made you say so, this is worth the risk? Yeah, so we didn't um, consider engaging in the off season. We didn't consider engaging last off season. I think there was rumors that we even um, made offers. Or, you know, when I well, last year we never. The first offer we made was the first offer we made just two weeks ago or whatever it was. So um, it's easy to identify the, the talent, know that he's a great young player. We value him that way. But you do want to make sure, because we have him for six years and it's a long time, that you're doing the right thing. It's almost like in the draft. Some guys from high school need to go to college. As talented as they are, their success will ultimately be dictated. Maybe it's a maturity and so on. They need to go to college. So I wanted to ask his teammates. I wanted to ask the coaches. I want to ask the support staff. How is he? You know, because I can only I'm around him only a certain amount, but there's still a level. I'm 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 the office. He's the player. Um, I'm not going to get to know him at the same level as his peers and the staff or the people that are in the cage with him or or the people that are in the outfield with him, working with him. I'll see him how you doing and so on, but I don't get to work with him day in and day out. So I asked them all. I said, Do you think money will change him? Do you think it'll change his work ethic? Do you think it'll change his demeanor, his attitude? I was very curious, like I talked about when we signed him, to see after all the success that he had and the hype and the build-up and going to New York for the awards. And does he come into spring training with a big head? You know, I'm the new star of the team and, and all that, and he was the exact same guy. So that was a great sign. And I remember just talking to all the staff members about him, and they all said we're comfortable with the person, with the kid, talking to some of his teammates the same way. So that gave me peace of mind because we don't know what's going to happen performance-wise. We don't know what's going to happen from a health standpoint. We can pin down the makeup and the character and the work ethic. That we shouldn't get wrong. 
if he gets hurt, if he doesn't perform, it happens. I don't know what we could have done, but if we bet on the wrong guy and he goes the wrong way after getting a deal like this, shame on us because we've had them in the organization, and it's not that hard to get that work done. So, you know, one story along that, um, the next day after we announced the deal, Freddie went up to him and said, Ronald, I saw Ferrari in, in the lot. Man, already. He's like, no, 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 no. And then uh, when I saw him, I said the same thing. I said, you promised me. You're already buying Ferraris? You know? That's great. And, uh, and he laughed. And so yeah. and he's still really humble and shy, and it's great. Yeah. So, um, and no, I say the same thing. I said, you know, you've, you know I want to know you can look me in the eye and say you're not going to put your hands behind your head and put up your feet, and, and it's you've got it made now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I... They all can say what they want, but there's, I felt pretty good with all the information that we had that this was the right guy to make this kind of bet on because it is the highest ever contract in the history of the game um, for a guy with less than one year, second highest total guarantee that the Braves have been around a long time have ever given a player. Um, so when you combine that value with so little time, it's, it's a, as talented as he is, it's still a very big commitment, big leap. And from his standpoint, no matter what happens – he has $100 million laying in the bank, which is great, no matter what happens to him. And hopefully he becomes the great player that we all hope and think he can be. And there will be a next deal either from us or who knows what happens potentially 10 years down the road somewhere else. But if things work out the way we all hope, there's going to be a, a one more big deal that's going to come to him. Yeah, and you watch, you know, <clears throat> watching him play, it's – the player, I mean, his play is, speaks for itself. It's phenomenal. It's, I don't think, at least in the years I've been working in the game, I've not seen a player like him, certainly not on a daily basis. But what's also cool to watch with him is the exuberant, like the, the youthful kind of spirit that he has for the game and how fired up he gets, not just for when he hits a home run or, or does something great, but watching his teammates, watching him like just a teammate do something great in a game and him jump over the rail that he's just so excited and bouncing up and down and constantly moving. And it's, it was interesting watching him even last night after last night's game, after Marquecas cleared the bases or, or came sliding in, he was just so fired up and jumping up. And and it it's kind of like I don't think that that person, that fired is not going to change. It doesn't seem like any kind of contract, any kind of money, any kind of deal is going to change. It seems like his passion for the game is going to be there no matter what. So Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's there's other components to that. So his his father played, his family, Kelvin Escobar, I mean, so he is, his family is all about the game. So he loves to play, obviously. You could see it on the field. But he's got a baseball family. He's surrounded by it all the time. Other small things that gives me great comfort. His family's at every game. They're sitting outside the clubhouse. They wait for him. He's not going out, and I'm not saying he won't in time, go out to dinner and to a bar and whatnot. But for the most part, he comes and plays. Then he, he goes home, hangs out with his family. And um, I don't worry about it. I'm not getting a phone call. I'm not going to get a phone call at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning if something happened. He's, you know, his off the field is fantastic as well. So um, the energy he, he brings, again, I'm, in my opinion, when you're putting a team together, obviously you want talented players all over the place, but there's also a mix that's important. You have some guys like a Nick Markakis, who's just a pro, quiet, steady grinder, and, you know, guys like Freddie and so on. But you need some energy guys, in my opinion, as well. So you have an Albies, you have an Acuna, Dansby Swanson's that way, Josh Donaldson's the same way. I don't know that you're going to have 20 guys like that, um, but it's it, th there's there's a mix there, and he adds to that. And over a long season, I think it's important. And even you see him sliding into home last night, the way he pops up, the athleticism, the energy, the excitement. Um, even when we were talking to the coaches, you see him, you see him round third. You know, like I joke with Wash, his helmet's going to fly off because he's flying, <laughs> you right know. Yeah. So um, he's a, just a dynamic, exciting player. Well, my my whole thing is just watching him as a player – I've seen plenty of talented guys. He's not the best swing I've ever seen. Um, you know, he's he's got just as much talent as some of the guys. But when I watch him take pitch, pitches at this stage of his career, that's what impresses me. I don't see him flailing up there and making bad swings. I see him hit the ball to right with power. I see him take a pitch that's a little bit off. He has a command of the strike zone. To me, that, that shows a maturity that says he's ready to continue to make adjustments in this game. Because you know as well as I do, once a pitcher and a staff, now they're making adjustments a lot quicker nowadays, but when they see, and, and that's what I've been impressed with about Dansby, is that that pitch down and away last year, or the last two years, 
he has not been able to hit, and they've lived out there, and he's and he's suffered the consequences. All of a sudden, he's hit a ball to right. He's hit a home run to right, and now he starts hitting that pitch. They're not going to be able to sit out there all day, and he's going to be a much better. He's going to make some incredible adjustments. But I see that with Ronald, and that's what impresses me. Um, just you know, along with all the other intangibles and and I what I've heard agree. too. So no, that, that's I, great I agree. Too. His approach at the plate, he's definitely not a free swinger. Considering his age and everything else, and even Freddie's talked about it as well, is that's where when he starts to take his walks, and he said it's hard at times. Like early in the season last year, I guess first month, Freddie was walking like crazy. I used to joke and call him. I used to say, <laughs> Barry Lamar Bonds. His yeah. Bonds used to walk all the time when I would see him, and you know, and he he explained that you know, you get frustrated at times. You want to hit. It's not fun to walk, but he say, you know he says I I go through it at times too. But you take your walks, and ultimately. That's what's going to get you to be a great player, a great hitter. So um, I completely agree with you. He's, he shows that. He has the ability to do that. Tend to forget he's just 21, and he has those type of at-bats. With the bat speed and beyond that, he hits the ball so hard. Um, whether it's a ground ball, it feels like every ball he hits is 110. You know, So um, his exit velocities, his bat speed, I mean, they're off the charts as well. Well, and speaking of Freddie, I was at the, the press conference the other day where he announced the, the Ronald's extension. Uh, I was I've certainly perked up when I saw Freddie walk in, and I just thought that, that how cool is that that Freddie a wanted to be there was there. Um, what does that say? Do you think about Ronald and how he's viewed by the clubhouse? That the I think most of us, at least on the outside looking in, view Freddie as kind of the the face of the franchise, the team leader. So for him to show up to that press conference, what does that say about how Ronald is viewed by his uh, by his team? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I thought it was great. He sent me a text and just asked when's the press. It started to break. He said when's the, when's the press conference is at five. He's like, I want to come. I'm like, you can get down here that fast. Probably quarter after three. So um, it was amazing that he did that. Um, I could go on and on about how awesome he is, Freddie, on the field, off the field, as a person, as a GM. Having a guy like that is great. You know, your best player does everything the right way. Is supportive. Um, but you know, the fact that you know he's talked about this a lot too, and. I don't want to. I don't. I can't speak to his experiences when he first came up, but he talks about how critically important it is for him that they make you know the veteran players make the young guys feel comfortable in that clubhouse. And there was a culture, Greg, when you play, the young guys came up and it was hard, right? I mean, they just people would ride you and get on you. And his attitude is, you guys, if you're up here, you're my peer. I don't care if I make more money than you. I don't care if I've got more years in the league. We're teammates. We're trying to win. And if I make you uncomfortable and you don't like coming to the ballpark every day, how are you going to help us win? So there's still a respect level, and there's things that you you know need to do and so on. But the last thing he wants to do is make life hard on anybody, and he, he'll get on somebody who even tries. He's there to, to protect the young guys, and that's great. Um, but in turn, the young guys are so respectful of him. And it's not because he demands it. I think they just see the way he goes about it day in and day out. And you could see they're very, in the right way, they're very deferential to him, whether it's if there's a question about this or that, they'll say, check with Freddie. You know, we want to make sure it's okay with him, and he, what does he think? Let's get his opinion. And that's just the respect for him as a player and how he's been here. But Freddie show, shows it back. So I think for Freddie to do that speaks volumes. I think it made Ronald feel really good. I mean, they saw each other in the clubhouse. He gave him a big hug. I think he was really blown away that he decided to come. That's awesome. So big question is, how many other calls from agents did you get after you signed that deal? Yeah, we were spending, <laughs> spending that, that kind of money. Um, well, I mean, on the team. I mean, the yeah, young guys. I mean, how many yeah, other young I guys mean, agents called you? You know what? I, I think everyone knows that, <clears throat> one, it's hard to do more than one at a time, these things. And we weren't in a – it didn't have to happen now with Ronald. It just – we approached it, and it may have not happened, and maybe we would have looked at it a few years down the road. But – um, we got to the point that the deal made sense, but pretty much everybody we have, we have for quite a long period of time. So there's no urgency. There's no rush. In a perfect world, you're doing these in the off season when you have a little more time. Maybe early in spring training, you don't like to do them during the year just because it could be a distraction and they, mm -hmm. they drag on. And the risk that things go sideways in a, in a negotiation, you don't want you know, it to affect the guy's play. So, um, you know, I've always been this way. Contract negotiations, we keep them super quiet for obvious reasons. If they get out, right or wrong, it becomes the watch. So let's say people knew we were, we were speaking to Ronald. Every day they're going up to him. Any update, where are they at? That's not good. Maybe I'm getting a lot of questions, where are they at? Then you have people start to you know, come up with theories about what they should get, what, what they shouldn't get. There's just a lot of noise that's not conducive to getting a deal done. There's no upside. There's no advantage. So, And then what if you don't get a deal done? The player's greedy. The, the club's cheap. 
there's just no there's no way to win that. And I've had a bunch of negotiations in the past, whether it was with Toronto or even L.A., where, you know, you might go down the path, a deal didn't get done, and it's fine. No one knew about it. Everything was, was fine. So, to me, the first anyone should hear about these things is when deals get done. And you, and just to clarify, or I just for my for me to clarify, you guys reached out to, to Ronald's yes. folks first, and that's yeah, how, that's right how the process started. Yeah, right at the end of training, yeah. Just to see, is there any interest in this, um, even in exploring it? Because some guys will say, look, you know what, uh, I don't know what I am yet. And uh, I need to. I want to play a little bit more just to find out who I am as a, as a player, you know. Or I believe I'm going to be X, and I know I'm not X yet. I'm going to be, you know, a perennial All Star. I got a chance to be a Hall of Famer. I know I haven't done that yet. I don't expect you to pay me like that right now. So I understand if I want to be compensated that way, I have to go out and take that risk and play it and perform and stay healthy, and so on. And that's fine. So, um, you know, these deals, player has to want it, has to be happy. If they're uncomfortable and easy, don't sign the deal, don't do the deal. So this is about getting the security. Some guys play play better. They don't have to worry about it. They don't have to worry about their stats. They don't have to worry about going through the arbitration process. Now, some guys want that and they need that care. I mean, I can tell you there may be some players that I've had or have that I wouldn't, and it's not because I don't believe in them and they're not talented, but I just wouldn't want to give them guaranteed money that they might – we may make the decision as an organization is – they might play better if they have to chase something every single year. And that doesn't make them bad guys, just they're not all the same. And Ronald, I don't think he ever plays for money. I don't think that's his motivation. He loves to play. Um, I don't think he's intimidated by the moment at all. I don't think there's any distractions. You can have 500,000 people in the stadium. He's not going to be afraid or intimidated. Um, some other guys, though, need that carrot, and that's fine. And that's why we have most of these guys for six years when they, they start. We can continue to go year to year and then, you know, see as they mature and develop and we can make a decision as maybe they're a year away from free agency. So over the off season, leading into spring training, there's there's been this looming question of, okay, the Braves have money, they're not spending it, and what's Alex doing? And I know from personal experience that Bobby Cox did a lot of things for us that he kind of fell on the sword and would never say anything. And he and he just took it, and so I feel like that that's happened to you a little bit. I know that you're extremely active, intelligent. You got a lot of things going on behind the scenes, but you're not saying you know you're smart. You're not saying stuff about that, but that then you pull off a deal like this. Do you feel like that that kind of shows that hey, we are doing things that make sense for us? It's not about us not spending money. It's about us doing the right thing. I've heard you say that. Sure. It's about us doing the right thing to make this team better. Yeah, I mean, look, that there's no doubt that's we're always going to view. You know, you look at, um, and I know this is not, I want to say corny and cliched, but the word integrity is paramount. I think when you're hiring, when you live your life, and obviously everybody wants to have it, right? And if you were to ask me, you know, I had this conversation with someone years ago, and it just kind of gave me clarity as a GM. What does it mean? Uh, you know, my answer was that, doing the right thing, you know? And... When I thought about it in the context of this job, it's doing the right thing for the organization, no matter what. Don't worry about what you're making. Don't worry about how many years you have left on your contract. Don't worry about PR, optics, this and that. What's the right thing for the organization? And it sounds like such a simple thing, but if you really block out all the other noise, oh, I'm getting killed in the media on this, ignore it. But if you ultimately believe it's for the right reasons and it's easy to get tempted into the other things, and it's, you know, we're all human beings, we all have emotions. And early on in my career, I would have been lured into some of those things or feel the heat, feel, feel the, you know, and I, and I ultimately made a lot of bad choices as a result of that. And once you operate that, that way, it makes it very easy. It doesn't mean you're going to be right, but you know you're doing things for the right reasons. And whether you get heat, flack, and so on, you can still have doubts which you can put your head on the pillow at night. Whereas I've been there where it's like, ah, we're doing this for PR or we're doing this for whatever. I don't really believe in this, but, you know, attendance, fan base, whatever, we got to do something, you know, and it doesn't work out because all anybody cares about is winning and all that stuff goes away. So, yeah, there's no doubt there was a lot of noise this offseason, noise at, at the beginning. And if I'm going to have an issue with it, I shouldn't take the job. That's part of it. So... Um, and I think that's just, it's not to be arrogant about this, but I think it's just the maturity on my end and the experience. 
I've been there before. I've been ripped in the media. I've been ripped on radio. I've been ripped in the newspapers. But I've been praised, too. And I can go back and forth. So things might roll, and I'm the greatest GM in the world. And then things go sideways, and I'm the worst GM. And it's going to swing, and we're all sports fans, and you see it all the time. So um, it's a very – and, you know, you wish, of course, a lot of times that you could be more open and be more candid and get into the specifics about player stuff. You wish you could say, look – I check with the clubhouse guy. I check with the trainers. Um, the makeup of this guy is going to really affect an Albies and Acuna. Um, I've seen that happen. I've seen it where guys come in and ruin the next guy, and you can never call a guy out in the media. Or there's something in his file from a health standpoint that we just don't think this guy is going to hold up. I cannot go on the air and say that. One, I'm going to hurt the guy's trade value, free agency value, whatever it is. I can't get into a guy's character. I can't say any of those, those, those kind of things. Now, it might just be that, hey, we just don't think the player is that good. Or... We have concerns with the player's defense, and we're, you know, we've talked about building a great defensive team, but I can't even be critical on that end. So ultimately, I have to just let it play out. And I've said this before in radio interviews. Look, we look back all the time. I look back at last offseason. I look back at you know, two offseasons ago, the, the first one I had. I look back at the current one, and I'll be the first one if someone asks me, hey, why didn't you sign so-and-so, or you should have signed this guy, or who we signed was a mistake or trade. That's part of the job, right? We do these jobs where everybody can see what you're doing. Um, but, I mean, I, other than, I know it's just words, but um, you can, we have a really sound reason for everything that we do. And I'm not one, if I get asked a question, I'm going to answer it to the, to the best of my ability. And it's not to um, promote anything. It's not to try to sell. It's not to try to excite fans. We don't leak things that we're in on so-and-so to try to sell seats and get everybody excited. If it comes out, it comes out. But we keep things quiet because it's the best thing to do for the Braves. Uh, Before the season started, you know, in kind of response to some of that criticism, some of the heat you're talking about, you mentioned that you really did believe in some of the young players and some of the guys coming up on this team. And that's as kind of a response to, I guess, the perceived lack of activity, if you Mm -hmm. will. How much, as we're sitting here, it's Friday, the day after the team completed the sweep of the Cubs last night, how much does a performance like Max Fried put on last night, six innings, one hit, how much does that kind of help validate that, uh, that statement a little bit, and does that kind of make you, you know, you told, you told everybody, I believe in these young guys, how much does that help, you think, perception-wise, that one of those young guys can perform like that? Yeah, I guess for me, um, again, maybe it's just more years of experience, and I know this is another cliche, but it isn't about me, so I don't worry about it. So on the one hand, I don't want to be the face. I don't want, And I understand as a general manager, you have to make yourself available, do media and so on. But I'm not down on the field every day. I don't do more than in my mind than I need to. Um, you know, I get asked all the time, I do, hey, day in the life, can we follow you around at home? Can we do your backstory? And, you know, I, I'm sure that for some people that would be interesting and they like it, but not I mean no one's coming to pay to see me be a GM right they're coming for the 25 guys in the field and that's what drives the bus that's what drives the whole thing doesn't matter what people are doing in Gwinnett Mississippi whatever those guys in the field are what are going to move the needle so in an ideal world I'm just doing my job we have a good team on the field everyone's excited and it takes care of itself if the focus and attention is on me um that's I'm probably not doing my job and probably something's going the wrong way so um in terms of validation and things like that I just figure the results in the field will speak for itself. Whether we win a lot of games, lose a lot of games, there could be excuses, there could be injuries, there could be performance. No one's going to care. That's all you're going you're to be. So whether we win with kids and so on, a lot has been made of our payroll and so on, and it will be north of what it was last year. I've been through it where I didn't save money in the offseason, and it burned me. 2014 in Toronto, I had no money left. I'm trying to live through making trades. Um, and asking the t- other teams to eat every penny was a disaster. <laughs> so um, I would have to trade the entire farm, and I didn't, obviously I didn't want to do that. So I learned my lesson in 2015, and, and I, I could jump in and do whatever I needed to do. And even last year, we were able to do whatever we needed to do. So um, it's hard to do at times. And, and I could say same thing from, uh, you know, from uh, fans. And, of course, we care about the fans. But fans want to win. That's why they, they, they care, and that's why they want activity. And we do, do too. And... We can't force the market, and the pool of players in free agency, that's all it is. And, of course, a lot of names would help us, um, 
But if we think it's too many years or it's too many dollars and there's an opportunity cost because it'll impact us the next year or the following year, we have to make that decision. You're already seeing it. Some teams, because of their contracts, couldn't be as active this offseason. You know, so um, that would have had an impact on us. But I can tell you, in 2012 in Toronto, we had a rough year, had a lot of injuries. Um, the ma- we had the manager left with, you know, Escobar with the eye black, just a ton of stuff. And there was this sentiment around the organization that we needed to make a splash and needed to go do some things for fan base and everything else. And the Marlins deal came up, that huge Marlins deal that we did. That I can say, you know, at, at the time, yes, they were big-name guys. They were, they were good players. But we had concerns, whether it was payroll concerns, fit concerns, and so on. Um, we weren't jumping up and down as a baseball operations group just because of our payroll was going to jump from like $80 million to 125 just to overnight. And their backloaded contracts were going to jump to 145 160 whatever it was going to be. And we were going to give up a bunch of young talent. We had spent all this time building this great farm. And, you know, the sentiment was this organization, the brand, something needs to be done. And we weren't making – I can't sit here and tell you those transactions were for baseball reasons only. And that was the biggest mistake. Because from a baseball standpoint, we're like, uh, we're giving up the assets that we're going to give up here are way more than what – you know, when you factor in the contracts and everything else – but this means more to the organization in light of what happened, the way things had ended. And I swore to myself after going through it, and it basically tied our hands for the following offseason. We, we couldn't do anything. So we were stuck the following offseason. Then finally our contracts came off the book at, at the end of 2014. I remember at my end of, at my end of se- season wrap-up, I said, I'm more excited about the current offseason than I've ever been in my time as a GM because, one, I felt I'd learned some things about character, makeup, work ethic, going after a certain type of guy. And... And the other fact was I had clarity on making the decisions for the right reasons and not for PR reasons and all the other things. And that was the turning point for me as a GM, 2014 offseason. And it ended up being my best year in Toronto, my best offseason. I don't think it was coincidental. That's not to be arrogant about it. I just think I made a lot of mistakes. And if you're not going to learn from them, then you know, you're not going to be able to continue. And these jobs are making adjustments the same way a player would. And I needed to live through those mistakes to finally adjust and you could say I'm probably stubborn now um, because I lived it. So people can be critical. I've been there. I've, I've done that. I feel confident that we're on the right path. And ultimately, over time, we're going to find out. and we're still going to make some mistakes, but the process will be so much more sound. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you, just as it relates to the bullpen, what's going on right now with the team, you know, we've had – obviously, we've had our share of injuries – two starting pitchers out. We had Mentor that just came back. But uh, that seems to be an issue of concern right now. I mean, just last year, I mean, it seemed like that there was a a couple waves during the season. Um, Is that something you're monitoring pretty closely right now? Um, Because you would love to think you can score nine runs a game. But that just is not sustainable. We, We both know that. So we, um, I just, I was just curious. How are you feeling about that right now with the, with the team, and uh, how close are these guys getting ready to come back? Like you said, so Minter came back. I think getting him in the game, even though he was not sharp, I just getting that out of the way, I think was important. But this guy, you know, the little he's thrown has looked very good. Um, so those guys, I think getting depth out of our starters. I mean, the, last night with Freed was the first time we've got re- any real length. And no matter any, you guys both know this, no matter how good your bullpen is, if they have to start to cover five, six innings a night, it just isn't going to work. So if we can get to the sixth or the seventh inning and so on, that bullpen's going to be a lot better. Um, so, look, I know the bullpen's been talked about a lot. Uh, there's no doubt we want it to be, be better. We have talent. We have upside. I know a lot of people don't like this word, but we're set up that, we have the fle- flexibility to make a change. You know, we don't have a bunch of guys on four-year, $10 million deals that if they're, they're getting hit, we're stuck with them. we got to ride it out. So, you know, that doesn't mean that we don't like certain guys, but we know the volatility of bullpens. And even if you look at early on in the season, some of the guys that got big contracts, they're off to slow starts. That doesn't mean it's going to continue. But, you know, again, I remember signing Francisco Cordero in Toronto. I brought the story up before. We weren't that enamored with him going into the offseason early on, and then all of a sudden we chased the deal rather than, than the, the player, meaning he wasn't on our list of a guy to go out and get, but he had just been a closer for the Reds and had a solid year. But there were some indicators, the strikeout rate, the walk rate, and so on. He had turned down a big deal with the Mets, I think two, two times $8 million a year. And then all of a sudden he's available at a one times four. 
and we never really were on the player. We we didn't think he was a fit, and you know we end up like ah, it's just great value. He was going to get 16. Now we can get him for four. Let's just do it. And he just wasn't getting the job done. I think our evaluation of the player was right, and we had him pegged right. And now we're stuck with him, and he's a he's a pro. He's been a closer. Can't throw him in the ninth. He's not going to be a long guy. You just jam up the roster. You want to give him a chance. He's making $4 million. You're not just going to end up cutting him loose a after a month. So I think when you're signing relievers to long-term big money deals, you better feel really good about it because there's going to be risk no matter what. So, you know, and so each year there's guys that emerge out of nowhere that, that do well. So we have, and there will be relievers that get moved all summer. So if we can ride it out with our talent and our ability and so on. And look, we were fifth in ERA last year for the season. We were third after the All-Star break. That's the whole staff. As hard as it was to watch at times, we still got it done. Um, we have the ability to take a con contract. We have the ability to trade some players. But we've got this time to find out who that hot reliever is, who that hot. We traded for Mark Lowe in Toronto. At the beginning of the season, no one knew Mark Lowe was going to have a, gr a great year. No one knew Annabelle Sanchez was going to have a great year. So it gives you time to sift through who's that hot reliever that could be. And there's going to be guys that come available as well. Now, there may be a guy in free agency that we really love and believe in and we'll give the long-term deal to. But we do an analysis of, hey, our payroll is going to be X. We, have to, we look at the percentage of payroll and so on and spreading dollars around, having all that depth, giving up the young assets. We'll put a value on every young player we have. So a prospect we might view as $20 million asset, $30 million asset, whatever it might be. We do all that analysis, and we'll chase some relievers in free agency. But once those dollars, and if you look at last offseason, two offseasons ago, the free agent relief market, I don't know that the early returns were all that great. So um, that doesn't mean we'll, we won't ever sign a free agent reliever, but I don't know that there's that many that we're going to go chew up a big percentage of payroll unless we're totally sold. Well, <clears throat> be easy on my brothers down there, right? Sure. <laughs> you relievers stick together, that's don't you? Yeah. That's a tough no, job. That's a tough job. And I know, <laughs> and I, I, think, I think a big part of it is putting those guys in the right role, you know, making sure we don't use them all mm -hmm. that much. We monitor how much they're being used, how much they're up. Um, days in a row and so on, we're on top of it, four out of five, three out of four. So, um, and, you know, all these guys have stuff to varying degrees, you know. So, and there, there's a reason that they're here. Some of them have control. Some of them we think there's an upside. So, we might be stubborn where we hold on to certain guys, but, Again, I remember in Toronto, and I hate bringing it, but it's my only other experience. Edwin Encarnacion, the fans hated him, hated him, <laughs> dying for me to release him, left, right, and center. We had to send him down. But there was a lot of good indicators. His walk rate was pretty good. He was hitting the ball hard. And, you know, he just, we just needed to ride it out with him. So sometimes there might be some upside there with some of these guys that we see. Doesn't mean we're going to be right, but we owe it to ourselves to give it because we've got so much control of the player. They're in a good spot from a salary standpoint to build the other components of the team. And then ultimately, we still want to win games too. So you're always trying to thread the needle with both things. Mm. Well, hey, great talking with you. Again, fascinating. Uh, congratulations about Ronald. Uh, we've turned it around. All right. Yeah. Get swept, you sweep. You know, then let's keep that, it going uh, with the Marlins. Yeah. We hope. Let's, uh, mm -hmm. let's continue on on the right trajectory. And awesome. appreciate you joining us. Glad to do it, guys. Appreciate it, Alex. Thank you. All right. Our thanks again to Braves General Manager Alex Anthopoulos for joining us here on Behind the Braves. That was uh, quite a candid conversation, I felt like, and uh, he made some. I really enjoyed the the first first thing that comes to mind that I enjoyed there was his. I think we've heard him in media and in interviews before talk about you know his previous experiences, some in L.A. but mostly in, as the Toronto GM, now kind of guiding like some of the mistakes he made along the way. Those mistakes kind of guiding how he he does things now. I don't think I think this is the first time I've heard him go into that much detail and in, in depth into what those moves were. And I, it was funny hearing him make talk about some of those moves he made as the the GM or made in Toronto, like from 2012 and shortly thereafter. It's like I forgot that they they signed that guy then, or you know they signed Francisco Cordero. I just it's been a while, and then you know the Braves are kind of always my the forefront of my mind. The Blue Jays aren't necessarily so. To hear him go in detail about those, it was very, very, very interesting to me to hear that these are, we all make mistakes in whatever we're doing, and we learn from them, and that's kind of how he's, he's guiding his 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 
responsibilities as GM now for the Braves. He's he's learned from his his past moves. Well, it has to be good for the organization for a guy like this to be thinking about thinking in that way because the worst thing you could have is somebody that keeps re- repeating yeah. you know, your mistakes. But but he is, you know, he's he's a smart guy and he's trying to figure out he does think about how will this impact the organization. And he admits there were some things that we had to do from a PR standpoint. You know, we're trying to we're trying to put people in the seats. We're trying to look like we're doing. And he, and he really didn't. He really didn't believe that that was the best move. And so he doesn't want to do that again because he ultimately knows, just like you and I know, and the fans know that if you win, then the world is right. Right. Yep. Everything in Braves country is right if you keep winning on the field. And that is the bottom line. So his job is how do I do things in a way that allow our players the best chance to win on a daily basis? And so, hey, you can't fault a guy for that. You That's what you want out of your general manager. He doesn't want to be in the spotlight. He just wants to provide his team. He wants to provide Snit the best opportunity to win. And I really believe that. When I talk to him, when I'm sitting here with him and, you know, go on YouTube and, and check us out and you can see, I really believe that when I sit and talk with him. You know, whether it's me when I'm talking with him in the hall, you know, or I'm seeing him out at lunch or I'm talking to him on the podcast, I believe that that is his number one goal. And I don't have any doubt about that. So whatever he's doing behind the scenes, whatever his reasons are for not going out and signing a closer or a veteran number one starter or this, then I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's doing and I think one of the things it's telling, too, is that he said he made a mistake a year or two in Toronto where he didn't save money to be able to go and get that final piece in the playoff push Right at the end of the season. And he said, I'll never make that mistake again. Mm-hmm. So that tells you that, number one, he's confident that we're going to have a playoff push, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and number two, that we're going to need a little bit of reserve to be able to get that final piece because you never know somebody's going to get hurt, right. somebody's not going to be performing, and um, and that you need to replace them. At, you know, un- unfortunately, you, that that's going to happen, but you, you would hope that all your guys that you have out there out of spring training, that would never happen, but that's just not reality. The reality is people have good seasons, they have bad seasons, they get injured, and you have to do the best thing for your team at that time. But if you don't have the capabilities – then you're in trouble. So I I loved hearing that from him. Yeah, and it's it's um it's it's interesting. Yeah, I think the biggest key that you talked about there to me, and it's it holds true for all of us that work in this, is just winning. Really, it just cures everything as far as you know the ba- the, the baseball stuff of the frustration. It's it's I cert- I certainly think back to both times as a fan, but I'm more thinking about times in my time since I've been working here. Um, Last year, we've talked about it before, last season coming off that crushing sweep here at home to Boston that finished with that really, really crushing, you know, comeback win by the Red Sox in the last game of that series. I remember thinking, oh, it's 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 so funny how there's 162 of these. We're playing them every day. There's so many. And there's some times where it's like, man, we just really need – we just need a win today. Not even thinking about the next week or anything. It's like, let's just win today. And, boy, that just – that will help solve a lot of things. I, and uh, another, I felt that way coming out of Philly over, after opening weekend, coming back to for the home opener against the Cubs. I'm thinking that maybe not quite to that degree as as we were last year after that Red Sox series. But I remember thinking, boy, we just – I shouldn't say we because I'm not on the team, but that's how I feel working around here and being in the office. I feel like all of us collectively, I refer to us as we, even though we're not the team on the field. But I'm like, we really, we really need a win tonight. And it is so funny how Monday morning the mood – of things were and how here now as we're sitting here taping this on Friday, how different the mood is now after sweet winning the last three games. And this, by the way, this episode isn't airing until next week. Who knows what will have happened between now and then, but it's just winning. It ultimately, if the team goes out there, performs, does what we know and think that they, what we think and know they can do and wins, then everything will be okay. And uh, as Alex will be okay, but it's, you can tell he's calm. 
got a good yeah. demeanor, and he's you need somebody like that. You don't need some maniac like me in charge that's like, <laughs> you know, one loss or one you choke out choke one game, and you're just you know on the phone with everybody trying to you know trade away half the team or sign you know <laughs> sign somebody. You need somebody like that that knows what they're doing. We wouldn't yeah. want the guy who invented Twitter to be the. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, I wish I invented Twitter. <laughs> I'd be, I might, I'd own this lounge. <laughs> That's right. It'd be the Ricky Mass. I'd lounge. be hanging out with you, but we, yeah, it'd be, it'd be my lounge. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, hey, I'll tell you something fun that's coming up, Greg. Speaking of uh, SunTrust Park and, and First, uh, this Sunday, this episode comes out today on a Wednesday. This Sunday, Braves fans, it's the first ever Sunday night baseball game at SunTrust Park. The nationally televised game on ESPN will have all your favorite things. About Family Sundays, we've got the gate giveaway for the kids, free games and Hope and Will's Sandlot, autographs from Braves alumni, which I've I've been in Greg McMichael's office. I've seen the schedule on his wall in there, and uh, he, he always uh, has quite a, uh, a great schedule of alumni that come and sign autographs on Sunday. So definitely be here for that. Uh, also features a special first pitch at 7.05 p.m. Do not miss this special night at SunTrust Park. It's... Um, you know, I was thinking about we went through the rebuild and everything the last or leading up to 2018, and you know, my first few years as not being a fan but working in baseball, we didn't have any outside of the Fort Bragg game. We didn't have any national games because we just we weren't playing very well. Yeah. You know, we weren't we weren't very high in the standings, and so we weren't getting very many national games. And then when I first saw the schedule for this year, and I went, "Wow, we've got." Yeah, not just Sunday night baseball, but multiple in the first month, really. Uh, a couple on the road, and then the first ever here at SunTrust Park. Really, really exciting. I'm really looking forward to the the first Sunday night baseball game here. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's when you win. You know, all of a sudden teams play a little harder against you, mm-hmm. and they want to beat the defending champions. And um, yeah, that that's always good. It's always great to be on a national broadcast. Here, you know, ESPN comes to town. And, of course, you know, back in the day when I was – it was like Monday Night Baseball. You know, that was right. the whole thing. And now that's kind of turned into the Sunday Night Baseball. And it's great for our team. It's great for exposure. It's great for our fans. We show off this beautiful stadium, show off our team and how well we're doing. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And, and we want to do better than we did against the Phillies on Sunday night. Yeah. Actually, well, hey, listen, so there's we nowhere gotta, to go but up. That's right. right. We're going to – we're going to uh, – take care of business there and and of course like i said we've got an alumni sunday that day we're gonna have javi lopez here oh, with great. some other alumni so that should be a lot of fun so come out and see us in the battery we'll be at the georgia power pavilion signing autographs for an hour um before the game and then um and then we uh we're the alumni we're gonna get together and we're gonna watch uh the braves uh braves play well uh, awesome can't wait for that. Can't wait for that. I'll tell you something cool that was going on the other night at the ballpark, um, out in the battery and out around the ballpark, and even on the field before the game with the players. Um, a lot of giant cards uh, being signed by the fans, players, personnel, everybody alike for the skipper, for Bobby Cox, get well soon cards, which was such a such a great gesture. And we would certainly be remiss if we didn't offer our thoughts and prayers for Bobby and his family. Um, just to talk about, uh, you know, just your, your relationship with Bobby and just, uh, again, I, I, it bears repeating. I know it's the thing we always say, but I, when I say it, I, I still mean it. You send thoughts and prayers and you really mm-hmm. do. I, it's sure. your, your thoughts are with the family. You pray for the family and, and, and for Bobby and hope that he makes a full and speedy recovery. Yeah. I've gotten all kinds of phone calls and texts from alumni wanting to know if I've had, if I gotten any updates on how Bobby's doing, can we go see him? And uh, I did get a note from the from the family that just said, um, you know, please respect our privacy right now. Bobby is is recovering, and uh, you know it's, it might be a long road. You know, we don't we don't really know yet what's going to happen, but but we are praying for him and and thinking about him. And B- Bobby has really been involved, continue to be involved in the organization. He's always at spring training. He's here uh, during the games, uh, during the season. He uh, he's still a presence here in the clubhouse, and and everybody loves Bobby. He's around. He's he's willing to offer advice. He's willing to just be there and hang out. He loves the Braves, so we're all thinking about him. I thought that was a great gesture to be able to put the cards out in the battery and have the fans sign them. And um, so we we're just thinking about him and and uh, hope for the best. Absolutely, wishing all the best for Bobby and all of you out there. It's I've seen it on social media and elsewhere. It's. Uh, 
the outpouring of support for him has, has been great. And it's, you know, for me with Bobby, because he's been retired now for, gosh, let's see, 2010 was his last year on the field. So for me, my relationship to him is just strictly and purely as a fan. Watching him, for me, he felt, it, it's like, I in some ways I felt like I grew up my entire, I did grow up watching Bobby Cox. Like he was kind of part of my extended family in a way because he was always there no matter how much the team changed the roster changed he was the one presence that was always there on the top step and I loved like back in the day like uh, you know whether it was Fox broadcast or the TBS or Peachtree or whoever it was there was always that mic near the dugout and when when the Braves were at bat they were always catching him going come on kid you know like you know (laughs) you know all you baseball players all have – well, you're Mac, I guess. But yeah. all you players, most of the nicknames end with all – they just tack a Y onto the end of it. So <laughs> you just hear him going, come on, Jonesy, or come on, yeah. you know, whoever. And I always – it's one of those little things I just loved about watching is always hearing him be supportive and vocally supportive and cheering on his players. Uh, it's just one of those things. So I think it's now our turn to, to cheer him on and wish him the best. And and uh, hopefully we'll get to see him back at SunTrust Park uh, someday soon. Agreed. Well, thank you, everybody, for checking us out here on Behind the Braves. Uh, As always, continue to rate, review, subscribe. The feedback has been incredible. If you want to check us out on YouTube, we're starting to put a lot of our – some of our episodes on YouTube now. Uh, So you can can do that. You can see Greg and I in all of our glory. Uh, Mostly, I think they just pan in on the guests, thankfully. (laughs) I think they just go to that shot. So you don't have to look at us too much. But, uh, but again, thank you all so much. Uh, keep following, listening, and uh, tell a friend. Uh, tell, tell your family. Tell all your friends, actually, about us. And uh, for Greg McMichael, I'm Ricky Mast. We'll see you next time on Behind the Braves. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.